David. Ryan. What are we about to do? We're about to roll it up. Let's roll it up. It's the Rolling third week of December. Happy Friday morning. This comes out every Friday morning, so you can drink a cup of coffee and catch up on crypto in about 25 minutes. David, what do we do? Give us the topic list. We take five different topics and we roll it up into five different minutes each. We talk about the market. What is the market saying? We talk about releases, what got released. Then we talk about the news. Then Ryan and I share some of our takes. And finally, we finish off with what we are excited about. There is a ton of news to roll up in this week. So much happened. And so we are going to roll up a whole entire week's worth of information, inject it straight into your brain so you can keep up the two so you can keep up with the crazy world of crypto. Ryan, are you ready? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Okay, let's start with the market. The question is, what is the market saying? I feel like it's saying price bullish. go up. I think bullish. it says number go up. <laughs> what a week, man. Let's start with Bitcoin. All-time highs after flirting with it for I don't know how many weeks. Right. Feels like like Three, four weeks. Four weeks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it hit it. Tell us about it. Yeah, interestingly enough, a three years to the date that Bitcoin painted the almost 20K all-time high in 2017, we broke it on December 16th, uh, three years later, cruising through the 20K mark all the way up to almost $24,000. In the, the last two days, Bitcoin Crazy. has painted two almost two candles at $2,000 each. That is crazy. The volatility is back, baby. Do you know what this means, David? I was thinking about this. It means every single person who told you that Bitcoin would never reach all-time high again is wrong. Anyone every who single ever person doubted Bitcoin is throughout history proven wrong. They're wrong. Like right. they've been wrong, and it, it kills me that people give advice without any skin in the game. Nasib Taleb talks about this, and it happens all of the time. These analysts. And these experts and these economists give advice without any skin in the game. And it costs them nothing when they're wrong. Well, they were all wrong. Bitcoin came back, hit all-time highs again, and no signs of slowing down. Should we get to Ether price? Uh, right before we do, uh, this feels like the starting pistol for the game where like if, if you all the whole like 2018, 2019 slow ramp and even the, the 2020 slow ramp, like the game didn't start until all time high was passed. And so like the game starts now, like congratulations, like we all have been talking about like, yo, the bull market's here, but we never really felt too confident about it. Now that like Bitcoin is pre- at all time highs, you know, blasting through its previous levels officially. The bull market is on. There's no, there's no other way to have a bull market. Bull market's here. You can't interpret this any other way. What have we been saying? We've been saying this is 2016. Next year is 2017. We'll see how it works out. Let's talk about ETH price. ETH price go up too. Yeah, ETH number go up all the way. ETH painted a a hundred dollar day uh, yesterday, going from wow. uh, just under six hundred dollars. I think it was it was uh, at like five hundred and ninety, uh, and then it, it reached. I guess it didn't do a full hundred dollars, but then it, it reached a peak of like roughly six hundred and eighty dollars earlier today, and then it's taken a bit of a tumble back down to six hundred and thirty, a little bit off the all time highs, but still, you know, really really strong. Crazy. Seems like only yesterday, David, when, in fact, it was March of this year when mm-hmm. ETH price was under $100. Right. It just went up yeah. $100 in a day. But within recent memory, the last nine or 10 months, mm-hmm. it was actually under $100. Right. Uh, pretty crazy. Um, ETH is actually up 370% on the year, which mm-hmm. is super impressive. Bitcoin up 180%, uh, both having 
very good years, phenomenal years, breaking the, the back of the bull market, I would say. We should also talk about total locked value in uh, Ethereum because that is up to all-time highs, it looks like. Yeah, it, it was even higher, much higher earlier today. Earlier today, it was at 16 and a half billion. It's down to 15.9 billion, but that's still much higher than the 14 billion it was at last week. Uh, same thing with the DPI, uh, DeFi Pulse Index. Last week, it was at $101. Now it's at $112. Actually, as as all far as as far as number go up goes, that number didn't go up very much. DPI kind of lagged behind. DeFi has not made the big moves that Bitcoin or Ether have. DeFi, uh, the DPI that David was talking about, of course, if if you're new, that is an index of the top DeFi tokens on Ethereum. Uh, pretty insane weeks for both Bitcoin and Ether as an asset. There's also been some insane premiums in the grayscale market. So look at these. Of course, uh, grayscale, you can catch our episode of Michael um, uh, Sunshine from grayscale. This is a way to buy trust type products, get some ETH exposure, get some Bitcoin exposure in your retirement account if you want to do it that way. Um, wow, that, ETH, that ETH premium. premium is insane. 200%. 200%. So, Versus spot price, if you're buying ETH E in your mm -hmm. retirement account, you're paying over 200% more than somebody who's buying it on the Coinbase exchange. That just shows you how much like institutional right. locked up demand there is for these assets. Well, it also shows retail demand, right? Because the, yeah. the ETH E is just like, okay, what's this Ethereum thing? How do I like access it? Where do I go to get exposure? Let me go to where I always go, which is my broker. Oh, there's this ETH E like trust thing that gives me exposure to ETH the Ether. I'll buy it, and then they just hit the buy button. They don't really understand what they're what they're buying. It doesn't matter, but that's where that premium comes from. The fact that you people are willing to pay. Basically, what's going on is people are paying almost double for the price of ether for the for convenience, right? Uh, and so there's there's a lot of people that are, are really want ether, uh, uh, quite a lot apparently. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, I thought Anthony Sassano had a really interesting comparison. The last time ether price was above five hundred percent, he goes through some five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars, excuse me, was uh, so last time it was at five hundred dollars. November 29, 2017 versus today, of course, it's above $500 and unique addresses. So the increase in basically Ethereum bank accounts, these are ETH addresses, 900% increase from five years ago or from, excuse me, from three years ago when the price was $500. So uh, he goes through some other stats. Active addresses are up 60%, um, 24 hour transaction count up 80%. The fees, the revenue, on a 24 period hour period of time, the, the demand for block space up 1,470%. DeFi is up like infinite amounts from 10 million to like well, 15 DeFi was invented. million. <laughs> DeFi exists it's basically now. invented, right? Yeah. So like <laughs> this paints the picture to me, David, of like an ether price of 500, November mm -hmm. 29, 2017. It was based on unfulfilled dreams, like potential. Mm -hmm. The Ethereum of today has brought a lot of these dreams to life. And it's a massive amount of, I guess, like real world traction that we've seen, mm -hmm. uh, yet the same similar price point. Pretty crazy. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's also good to remind ourselves that like Ether is still roughly 50% off of its all-time high. Now, like I don't really ascribe too much weight to all-time previous all-time high prices because of how incredibly fleeting they were. Like Bitcoin was at like 19,700 for like... 
10 minutes before it, before it dropped. And Ether was at like the all-time high price of like $1,300, $1,370 for just like moments, right? So it didn't really put too much, uh, you know, history or meaning into those numbers. But at the end of the day, like Ether price is 50% of its previous all-time high. Meanwhile, the network has like improved by multiple orders of magnitude. Some things like DeFi exist now that just didn't exist last time Ether was at this price. Uh, and, you know, that that discrepancy between those two things looks like opportunity to me. You know, another thing that didn't exist for Ethereum, David? Staking. Staking, my friend, there's now 1 billion worth of ETH in the ETH2 deposit contract. So this mm -hmm. internet bond we've been talking about, this digital internet bond is now worth over a billion dollars, which is pretty incredible. Some other um, Ethereum stats we should talk about. The number of Ethereum addresses passed a milestone of with, over Ethereum 50... addresses with Ether in, the, in it. Oh, excuse me, with, with Ether in it, passed over 50 million. Actually, I'm not sure if I have this chart up, but that that's incredible. That's like an all time high for any crypto network. The number of Ethereum addresses with the asset ether in it over 50 million. Mm -hmm. Right. And importantly, that's a number that can go down where like a, a total number of Ethereum addresses that have had a transaction with them only ever goes up. The This is a closer to like actual usage, right? Like strictly the, the number of wallets that actually hold a balance of ether uh, just, you know, breaching all time highs every single day, it looks like. Pretty crazy. We've got USDC that now hit over $3 billion, of course, all settled on Ethereum. Um, ETH option open interest, that's at $1 billion too. So ETH options, we'll talk about some really interesting news around ETH options in just a moment. But even on um, crypto exchanges like Deribit and OKX, that's at all-time highs to 50x increase this year. The options market for Ether this year has come a long way. Pretty crazy as well. Yeah, and I'm 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 not totally familiar familiar with the options world, but I'm pretty sure at least with things like Deribit or perhaps even all options, I'm not an expert, but like you need Ether collateral in your account to like play with these options, right? And so while these things are centralized, people are are the volume, the open interest volume requires Ether collateral to make that work. Let's talk about some other big options news. Let's get to the new releases, mm -hmm. David. This has been something that's been. I guess Ruined. foretold for um, weeks, not months. <laughs> <laughs> the CME Group. This mm -hmm. is the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the biggest financial derivatives exchange mm -hmm. in the world for traditional markets for anything. They finally announced that they're going to um, release an Ether futures product. So Bitcoin, of course, has an Ether futures product and the CME has had that since 2017. Ether uh, is literally only a week, a, a week, uh, three years ago to the week, uh, Bitcoin C uh, futures was offered by CME. Really weird, like like three year anniversaries going on right now. It's very strange timing. I'm not sure if they just do stuff in December or what, but three years later, now yeah. this is the second crypto asset to be added, which means if they are successfully added, uh, Ether really has the, the green light to mm -hmm. be um, considered a commodity by US regulatory authorities, which is which is pretty incre incredible. It has to be mm -hmm. decentralized enough to be a, a commodity. And this is just gonna open up the institutional floodgates for Ether as an asset, as it has with mm -hmm. Bitcoin. I wouldn't be surprised, we've talked about this before, David, but all of the, the fund managers and institutions who are saying, we love Bitcoin, like we're buying Bitcoin, announcing it. And part of the reason is because now they can get their hands on it, mm -hmm. right? So like. They, they don't announce until after they've bought the thing, 
Like right. they're not going to tell you yeah. that they own Bitcoin until like they have tons of Bitcoin. They just right. moved into a position. I think the same thing's going to happen increasingly with Ether. These yeah. large institutions are going to go buy some Ether. Then they're going to tell you about it maybe a few weeks or months later because this mm. has opened up the gates. Any takes here? Yeah, the, the main takeaway here is is in addition to just uh, opening up the options for big money to have exposure to Ether, this is also something that needs to happen if there is ever going to be an Ether ETF, which mm. I totally think there will be. Uh, the Bitcoin ETF is probably going to come first. But the thing is, like Big, big Brother Bitcoin fights the hard fight with the regulators and then Ether just like slips right through. I'm a younger child. Uh, I have an older sister, a much older sister. She fought with my parents to get a cell phone. And when I had to fight for my cell phone, I didn't have to fight so hard. That's like Ether and Bitcoin. That's not fair, mom. Is that, <laughs> I'm sure she said that a lot. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, it might not be fair, but that is indeed what is happening. Um, Bitcoin is, is leading the way for Ether, the asset. Th this is interesting in releases as well. Swivel Finance is an interest rate derivative protocol. It's built on Aave and Compound. Mm -hmm. um, they just released. We're seeing like new DeFi protocols emerge every week. What's interesting or special about this one, David? Yeah, there, there's two ways to make a money Lego on Ethereum. You build one from scratch or you connect two other money Legos with your third money Lego. And that's what this uh, Swivel Finance is. It's an interest uh, rate derivatives platform, which is just uh, increasing the final financialization of the DeFi world. Uh, you know, uh, this is a product that legacy people would find themselves familiar with, but now it is in a DeFi context, you know, just inevitable before something like this comes out. So cool. Glad it's finally here. Dope. Circle is a crypto bank. They are releasing a new earnings account. It's basically a high yield USDC business account mm -hmm. for businesses. Again, we think that yield is going to be a big driver of DeFi products in a world of decreasing yield to 0% mm -hmm. and below 0%. That's what you find in traditional finance. When DeFi can start to offer these things, and even crypto banks can start to offer these things, that's going to bring on mainstream. Mm -hmm. Any hot takes here, David? Yeah, once again, Ethereum proving to be the last bastion of yield in this financial world uh, and pro being proven out by like, the way if you, people on the podcast who aren't seeing the screen, uh, what Circle is offering is 8.5% interest on your USDC deposits. And some and depending on, on uh, the product that you choose, if, even if it's a fixed term, they're advertising as high as 10.75%. That is high. If you go out and tell businesses that they can get almost 11% yield on their cash. It's a no brainer. It's like, yes, please give that to me. That is something that the world absolutely wants these days and just can't be found anywhere outside of Ethereum. Yeah. And, and by the way, with the, the news that we announced uh, three weeks ago about Visa, essentially enabling a payment rails for USDC, this, this pairs so nicely with that. Now you've got a like business bank account where you're receiving high yields, and then you've got a way to pay for uh, pay, pay for things with USDC using the, the Visa crypto rails. Uh, pretty incredible. Kraken is launching Lightning integration in 2021. It like, feels about time, right? Like right. Um, yeah. a lot of Bitcoiners and in, in crypto exchanges have been talking about Lightning for a while. Like, mm -hmm. it, I'm glad they're doing this. this. This feels like a long time coming. Any, any takes here? 
Yeah, it's good to see Lightning kind of finally coming into the world, right? Like exchanges would be the logical first people to implement Lightning uh, for payments. Uh, there's a bunch of skepticism, especially out of the Ethereum world, as to whether Lightning is even legit or not. I think this is going to be a really great litmus test to see, do people actually want to use Lightning? Is it a real uh, solution to a real problem? Or is it just kind of this hypothetical tinkerer's environment? Uh, where Lightning is about to, quote unquote, go mainstream and be put against the free market. So let's see if the free market wants it. Something else we've been tracking has been the emergence of um, digital currencies in places like China. And I don't have the link open, but but David, um, I looked at uh, an article that actually showed somebody paying with a uh, digital wand using, using TouchPay on their phone. So basically one smartphone to the other, and they used the Chinese, uh, China's new central bank digital currency, made a payment. Like, I think people don't realize, particularly maybe in, in Europe and, and North America, that digital currencies, central bank digital currencies in Asia, at least in China, like they're here. Right. They're being in the they're in the process of being rolled out right now. In a year, a year and a half, like or two years time, they're it's going to be everywhere. And other central banks are going to need to compete with that level of infrastructure. Like it's happened, it's here. And it's going to cause everything to accelerate um, mm -hmm. and become more digital. Yeah, Asia moves faster than we do, uh, and yeah, they it, let's not let's not be like uh, like flippant about it. They are way ahead of the West when it comes to central bank digital currencies, and the West is going to, if they are not already, going to feel extremely threatened by that. Yeah, space rate race is an interesting analogy for what mm. is about to happen. I think. Wow, we talk about these releases, but like they they seem to fit kind of a common uh, mold of institutional adoption. Someone every week is building something new in in a money protocol on on DeFi. The crypto banks are becoming more like my like fintech, central mm. bank digital currencies. They they always seem to fit a similar mold. David, so I hope listeners are seeing the trends here and extrapolating those trends. Let's move on to news. The big news, I think, mm -hmm. of the, the, the week. Other than all-time highs. Other than all-time highs, other than Ether being listed on the CME. Maybe number three is Coinbase is announcing the confidential submission of a draft registration statement. What does that mean? It means they are likely gearing up for mm -hmm. an IPO in 2021 the first large crypto um, initial public offering, I think that that we've probably ever seen. That's That's gotta be maybe in the double digit billions by the times they list. Pretty massive, David, what's your take here? Yeah, this is Coinbase is, I'm pretty sure, crypto's largest company, right? And definitely crypto's largest company in America. So Coinbase going public is an extremely big deal in so many different ways. It's extremely legitimizing to our industry. It's a way to people like Coinbase, quote unquote, sells shovels, right? And, and traditional investors who maybe don't want, don't care to purchase Bitcoin and Ether, but are definitely interested in selling people shovels would definitely purchase Coinbase. Uh, also, interestingly, they announced this the day after Bitcoin all-time high day. I think that they, that was a very strategic move. I think that they had this ready to go in their back pocket to announce the day after Bitcoin broke its all-time high. And they are very strategically positioning their IPO to come during a mania period, right? During a hype cycle. While everyone, while the premiums for Bitcoin on Grayscale are super high. While there is just comp incredible interest in Bitcoin, 
Coinbase is going to IPO and the, the timing couldn't be perfect. And it's just going to be so, it's also just another thing to propel the bull market. This is a super bullish development. I, I totally agree. And the timing is right. And um, like well played on Coinbase's part. They've been talking about this for years and yep. now it's here right in time for the bull market, as David, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, this this was pretty big news as well. It feels like another theme on these rollups is every week we announce some institution, some billionaire, mm -hmm. some hedge fund who has just purchased more crypto assets, Bitcoin uh, primarily. But this one caught my interest as well. This is um, One River Asset Management, the, C the CIO, CEO, Eric Peters, just put in a another $600 million, uh, into into two things, Bitcoin and Ether. It's interesting because we had that conversation just this week, uh, David, with Ryan Selkis, mm -hmm. talking about how Bitcoin was the only asset that's really getting put on institutions' balance sheets. But very clearly, in the Bloomberg terminal, you have the purchase of Almost 600 million and adding to uh, about a billion dollars of Bitcoin and Ether. Both of those assets mm -hmm. together are being institutionalized. What's your take here? Yeah, dude, like the, there is no such thing as tribalism outside of the crypto world. The, the legacy world, <laughs> the legacy investors, they don't care about tribalism. They see Bitcoin and they see Ether and they want exposure to this world. When they just purchase Bitcoin, they don't have anti non-Bitcoin asset opinions like many Bitcoiners do. Uh, so, you know, the diversification is like the, the the name of the game when it comes to the legacy investors. And so they look at all the possible investments to make in the space in addition to Bitcoin and Ether is a close second, right? Uh, and uh, the, the market cap of Ether is like one fifth or one seventh the, the market cap of Bitcoin, which means that $1 into Ethereum $1 into purchasing Ether means so much more when it comes to moving the price simply because of Ether's lower market cap. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That last bit. And the, the interesting thing about this is it's really a two horse race. It's Bitcoin and Ether and nothing else. Yep. It's like both of those assets. Mm -hmm. um, they are not going to put something like XRP on their balance sheet. No, it's that not, a, crypto, is it's for not sure. a real cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, let's talk about this too. So yeah. our friend, Hugh Carp, we've mm -hmm. had on the podcast before. Go check out that episode. He's the CEO of Nexus Mutual. It's a DeFi insurer, DeFi protocol. Uh, he just got hacked for right. about 8 million in NXM tokens. And the way he was hacked, David- Super was scary. Super scary. Um, it was actually, the hacker had remote control over the computer he was using. And Hugh is an experienced um, De DeFi operator, of course. He, like he covers his tracks, his good OPSEC, mm -hmm. was using a ledger with MetaMask. And the attacker somehow uh, like rewired MetaMask, so it would display some different output and channel a transaction that Hugh made from his ledger, his hardware wallet, to a different destination than he than mm -hmm. Hugh intended. Like, so that's a story that's kind of still developing. Mm -hmm. But what's your take on that? Yeah, I always knew that something like this attack vector existed, but I never heard anyone making any noise about it. So I just never really bothered to like protect myself from it. What, what happened was that some hacker got access to Hugh's laptop and did a hot swap of MetaMask, right? Installed a malicious version of MetaMask that looks exactly the same. And there's and there, like, I don't know how many transactions you make where you just don't really verify the data because 
I mean, it's always works. And so like, you know, I never do that. I never do that anymore. Now I, something I've also haven't done since this is make a transaction on my ledger via MetaMask because I'm a little bit scared, right? Like you and I are both very public people. Like, so is Hugh. Uh, and, and like, that's kind of, kind of worrisome. Uh, we are having, we are going to have Hugh on the show once this, um, once this whole ordeal gets settled, because there is a little bit of a police chase going on right now. Interestingly enough, the hacker, the only way that the hacker, um, uh, knew or I, I, some, something to do with the fact that the hacker was a customer of Nexus Mutual, which means that that customer is KYC'd. Uh, which is really interesting. Uh, and that's not a really a great position to be in as the hacker. And so there is a, a police chase going on right now. The, the Nexus and, and Hugh are working with authorities to get back his money. Um, so that'll be an interesting development. And once the, the silence is lifted from that whole story, we're going to sh- tell it on the Bankless YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you stay tuned on, you know, into that just for your own OPSEC purposes, right? So we can kind of uh, figure out how like individuals who are going bankless can protect themselves against this sort of thing. That'll be part of the story as well. Totally. Uh, David, let's talk about the Office of Comptroller who um, has been pretty bullish lately on Ether and on uh, crypto assets is making some statements. This is in the US. Uh, wanting to more formally integrate stablecoin issuers into the existing banking system. I think this is uh, Brian Brooks who is doing this. Does it seem inevitable, David, that um, stablecoin issuers are going to be regulated in in some way? We just had a conversation with Rowan Gray, who of course is the, mm-hmm. the proponent of the Stable Act. He definitely wants to regulate all of the issuers, but it feels like it's going to come in one form or another, and some of the issuers, the the centralized issuers anyway, are sort of um, like proponents of some light regulation as well. What's your what's your take on this news? Yeah, Rohan Gray's uh, argument is that like if it walks and talks like money, it needs to be regulated like money. And to some degree, like something like USDC, I kind of do support that, right? Because they are they are in the meat space world. They are connected to the legacy banking system. Uh, and so th- there should be some amount of regulation, I guess. Like regu- regulation isn't evil by nature. Um, uh, so to, I, I think this is kind of just a natural ev- evolution of the industry, like the 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 parts of Ethereum that connect to the United States banking system, they're going to get regulated. Like I'm not interested in fighting that too hard. I don't even see what would be beneficial about it. Um, Another interesting, I guess, a news development is somebody created a way uh, to stream long-term incentives on Ethereum. This is a developer by the name of uh, James, James Fickle. Can you talk a little bit about this open grant project, David? Yeah, so this is just trying to solve the principal agent problem, in my opinion, where like a lot of Ethereum development should be incentivized, like financially, and it is, but it should, what this project is trying to go after is trying to incentivize in ETH nominated returns, right? And so people that are working on the Ethereum ecosystem are by proxy increasing the value of Ether, the asset, right? And so this is a way to, uh, reward developers working on Ethereum with Ether denominated returns rather than US dollar denominated returns, meaning that if they do a good job, then Ethereum will be better and Ether will be more valuable and they'll be able to access that upside that they created for the network. So just a really good incentive alignment system. And that's really what Ethereum is all about, is like offering tools for you to tinker with incentives so that we can produce the outcomes that we want. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really great to see like between things like this and of course, uh, Gitcoin, 
the community is really solving the public goods problem of how to fund this sort of infrastructure, which has always been part of the bear case, I think, for cryptocurrencies. It's like, great, you're rewarding miners, you're rewarding validators, uh, but but how do you reward like the the equivalent of of the hospitals and roads and the public mm-hmm. infrastructure that that needs to be developed for these systems and the community's coming up with really creative ways to harness the money protocols that we have to do this and mm-hmm. it, that's super exciting super bullish um david have you kept up with the whole nft art scene at all because there are some artists that are having some massive success and mm-hmm. this really feels like to me like this is going to be something really big is going to come out of the art scene uh, the crypto art scene and the nft scene in 2021 and mm-hmm. maybe it's already starting so this artist beeple just made 3.5 million dollars in yeah. an nft auction dude that's crazy 3.5 million dollars for digital art right yeah uh, I first came across Beeple because Joe Rogan tweeted about him saying that he thinks that his art is really cool. And his art is really cool. It's very unique. It's kind of also odd. I would say it's uh, odd art. Definitely worth checking it out. Uh, Beeple-crap.com uh, where you can go check out some of his work. But yeah, he, he, he auctioned <laughs> off seven NFTs for $3.5 million. So first off, Congratulations to this this guy. Second off, this is just going to open up the floodgates towards digital art, right? This is how I this is how a digital art mania gets started. I expect this to be kind of a, like like Bitcoin crossing the all time high. I expect this to kind of be a starting pistol for digital art and artists coming to because if if somebody's making three point five million dollars by selling digital art. A lot of people are going to take notice and be like, I can also get a chunk of that. Too. Dude, this is some weird stuff. It's I don't really, know if you've read really this. Hard. Yeah, it's really weird. This hard. is like uh, Donald Trump running through fire, but apparently this art piece is programmable. And it was like, if Trump wins, the art itself changes to a, visi- a video of a sexy boy king Trump. Like, what is this? <laughs> well, this is part of the this is part of the art, right? Like the Beeple guy is like a really creative kind of off-brand guy. That's part of his brand that you're buying into when you buy one of the NFTs. Wow, super creative, super interesting. David, that is, uh, we've, we've gone through market releases, news. It's time for some takes. What is your hot take this week? My hot take is about this bull market and it is different this time, TM. This bull market <laughs> is different this time. And, and there's just a number of different reasons why it's different this time. First and foremost, obviously, money, we are in times of money printer go burr. We are during we are in the middle of an economic contraction while we are also simultaneously having monetary base growth and inflation, right? And so while the economy might be down, there's so much more money in the world. And, and so that's that's already quote unquote, it's different this time. What's also different in, in this time is as a result of that, the investors coming into this space are different. They are funds. They are, you know, boards of people making governance decisions about treasuries. They are like long-term holders, not the fickle retail who were like, you know, the price of Bitcoin drops by like 5% and then they get scared out of their positions. These people don't get scared out of their positions. They are here for the long haul, right? They are not trading Bitcoin. They are taking it and removing it from the market. And there's a lot of them. Meanwhile, we have like three and a half million dollars being purchased on NFTs. That's also some that's totally different it's also different like like we've talked about previously on previous roll-ups and basically across every bankless channel DeFi didn't exist last time like there's different surface areas for investments gaming like it's all happening all at once like this bull market is not the same thing as previous bull markets because of how much 
optionality there is to express bullish opinions in different investments and also just the different players. The, the, in 2017 and the mania of 2017, crypto was like a household name. Everyone knew that this crypto mania was going on. I think people are going to understand that a lot sooner. And I think the crypto is about to become just a very common talking conversation point from everyone, not just the crypto folk. Wow. Like I, I, I agree, you know, so my, can, can I make my hot take sort of a, a riff off of your hot sure. take? Is that yeah. allowed? I feel like that's how this podcast goes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the, like, it's different this time TM, right? So just building off what you said, another way it's different is this time we actually have DeFi capital assets. We have tokens that are capital assets. And here's what I mean by that. So like 2017, all of the token mania had no substance behind it. These tokens didn't have cash flows associated with them. They didn't even really have value accrual mechanisms. It was just some nebulous thesis that, yeah, I buy a token, Bitcoin went up, Ether went up, so therefore this token should go up, right? Um, the, the, the era of utility or futility tokens, as we called them, that is not the era that we're living in right now. So what I think is going to happen is mainstream finance first they're getting their arms wrapped around Bitcoin and digital scarcity. Okay, done. Check mark, right? Next, they move into Ether and this whole Ethereum economy and Ether the asset. And they start to understand digital bonds, the internet bond, product, a productive asset, the ability of Ether as an asset to generate revenue from the economy that's building. Okay, check mark. In progress, right? Like that's happening right now. They're also going to understand this cycle. DeFi tokens, capital assets. Things like YFI, which just released a quarterly report last week. Mm -hmm. It was generating something like $3 million in like quarterly revenue, right? Like this is real revenue. These are real financial um, assets and they are producing returns for investors. And I haven't heard anyone in financial mainstream talk about that yet. Mm -hmm. Like they're not even aware that this world exists. Mm -hmm. They understand Bitcoin. Maybe they've, maybe they've heard of Ethereum. But they don't understand that there is a future S&P 500 that is in the process of being built, but they will this cycle. Uh, we've got some really interesting analysis tools this cycle too. So we just put out a, a how to use token terminal to calculate like price to sales ratios and price to earnings ratios. And it's like financial like kind of uh, stuff. Um, we could start to do that now. We're understanding these assets more than ever. So you know what, David, you're right. This mm -hmm. time it is different. It's different TM. this time. TM, TM. When the investors of the world, when the investor class of the world, the funds, whatever, and they come to Ethereum and they see that there is a open sea of impossible investable assets that are worthy of their research and attention, they're going to get really excited because they thought that they knew about all the assets of the world, but turns out there's a bunch of new assets they didn't even know existed. And you know what they're going to do when they discover all of those new assets? What are they going to do, David? Probably subscribe to Bankless. <laughs> Probably. Well, I mean, you know what? Bankless Q3 token report. That was a great token report. They should, but like... Um... I'm excited for them to come, David, but you know what I'm more excited about is the mm. bankless community front running them. Yeah. Like we've been talking about yeah. this for the last like, bags. <laughs> front run. Like this yeah. is this is part of it. They're going to slowly wake up to this, but because we're using these systems every day, like we mm -hmm. know what's about to happen. So guys, subscribe to Bankless. Continue to front run the Wall Street investors who are about to jump in here. All right. Um, 
don't know. That was takes, but I felt like that was a bit of what, what, what we're excited about too. Is there something else you're excited about? What else are you excited about, David? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually excited about an article that is coming out on the Bankless Newsletter that I'm writing called Ethereum is a Trust Plant. Uh, I like plants, as, as you guys can tell. I have <laughs> plants behind me. But uh, I wrote an article about how Ethereum is similar to a plant. And I think uh, if you really want to understand how these systems work, the right perspective is actually one of biology. And that's kind of what I make the case in, in the article. One of the things that, and this is, gets to what I'm, uh, the thing that I'm excited about, it's not only to release that article and for everyone to read it and, and tell me what their feedback is, but also the, the, the way a good, healthy, vibrant plant works and lives is through redundancy, right? Uh, and we are seeing uh, coming out of DeFi, a bunch of redundant systems, right? There's a lot of uh, dependency on DAI right now. DAI's not all that redundant, but actually we're getting new projects like Empty Set Dollar and a few other uh, decentralized stablecoins as redundant systems. Like we've now we also, we have in addition to Compound, now we also have Aave and now we have like redundant money markets. And the, the best thing about DeFi into the room for redundant systems, right? If Aave goes down, Compound's there to replace it, right? Hopefully with Maker goes down, there's a new alternative, you know, decentralized stablecoin to replace that. Uh, and so what, what really gets me excited about is, is the anti-fragility I'm seeing growing out of the DeFi space. If something breaks, something else in DeFi can take up that and bear that weight and the collapse and the structure just won't collapse because of how we have redundant structures. Guys, you knew it was only a matter of time before David combines both of his passions, <laughs> botany and crypto into yeah. a single article. I'm excited to read that to you, my friend. Yeah, no, it's, it's almost done coming out, uh, I think the 30th of, of December. So, so pretty soon. David does these reads too on uh, the YouTube. Another reason to subscribe mm -hmm. where he'll actually like walk through and read the article to you. So mm -hmm. you can get in your brain that way too. Really cool. Yeah, I, get, I put some voice and emphasis into it too. So it's fun to listen to it. All right, Ryan, what are you excited about? You know, okay, so the CME news is so big with Ether. So we're having this debate with Ryan Selkis earlier this week, right? Kind of a is ETH money debate. And it turned out that that wasn't even the debate because we actually both agreed that if you use the definition of money that, that I use and you use, that Ether is money. And he said, yep, I agree. But what I don't agree about, this is Ryan Selkis, um, who runs uh, crypto analyst for Masari. He's what I don't think is going to happen is that Ether is never going to be a monetary asset in the way that, that Bitcoin is. And if I'm to paraphrase him, the main reason he said is because um, institutions like MicroStrategy, um, like large hedge funds, Paul Tura Jones of the world, they are not currently putting Ether on their balance sheet and they won't in the, in the future. So one of his points was the institutional of Ether is a myth, right? Mm -hmm. So we debated that back and forth. And then two days later, David, two days later, Ether, like CME announces that Ether is going to be listed. They're going to have like futures on Ether in the same way that they have uh, futures on Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Like the only other asset besides Bitcoin mm -hmm. to be listed on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the world's largest derivatives market. Nothing else is even close to that, right? Same day, uh, this asset management company, um, one River Asset Management, which you talked about earlier, released press that they bought 600 million of not just Bitcoin, mm -hmm. Bitcoin and Ether, right? right? So love Ryan Selkis. Mm -hmm. I feel like forwarding those links to him and like telling him like, <laughs> buddy, 
just get ready. Let's have this conversation again in 2021 because it's already happening. Right. But even the conversation two weeks later would be different. Right. So um, I think it's important, guys, that um, you you like catch these trends early. Crypto, crypto is very much about trying to see the future, um, but but also like catching trends and things that are happening very early before they become like consensus crypto ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, the institutional of Bitcoin institutionalization of Bitcoin is now a consensus crypto idea. Like everyone sees it. Um, They don't yet see, I think, the institutionalization of ETH and that these same funds and asset managers who bought Bitcoin are about to buy Ether. Mm -hmm. And I think there's alpha there. We've said it before. I think alpha, there's going to be massive amounts of alpha in uh, Ether, the asset this cycle. But of course, you guys know, we skew ether bullish all the time. <laughs> just, just a little bit, just a little it's bit. I put out a tweet here and there. I, I put out a tweet forever ago that was like, this is right after like MicroStrategy, I think bought their first bunch of Bitcoin. And I said like, uh, you know, by the end of 2021, more companies will have ether on their balance sheets than Bitcoin. And the reason why that's true is because they're going to need to purchase ether in order to transact on Ethereum. I'm not saying that they are going to put their treasury into ether. I'm saying that companies will need ether to to pay for transactions. So maybe they're not putting millions and millions of dollars. Maybe they're just buying $100 worth of ether to put it to so that they can use Ethereum the network to do whatever they want to do on Ethereum the network. And to me, if, you know, every like uh, the uh, 10 times as many companies are purchasing Ether to pay for access to Ethereum versus purchasing Bitcoin to put on their balance sheet. And it's just a little bit of Ether. That sounds like money to me. That sounds like what money is. Absolutely. Well, we will see what happens. The next year is going to be big. David, we've got a little bit of overtime, but it was an overtime week in terms of the news and releases. (laughs) It always is. is. Guys, this has been the weekly roll-up from Bankless. As always, this is not financial advice. Both Bitcoin and Ether and DeFi are risky. You could lose what you put in, but this is the frontier. We're headed west. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Bankless. Bankless.